Welcome to Open Studios, a podcast brought to you by PerformView, the digital home for experimental performance. My name is Asia Stewart. I'm a performance artist and the founding artistic director of PerformView, and I'll also be your host. In every episode, I'll be sitting down with a different artist to take a virtual step inside their studio to learn more about their practice and motivations. And in this episode, I have the pleasure of speaking with Lizette Ross. Lizette investigates daily conventions and quotidian behaviors. She approaches her performances as experiments or opportunities to research and collect data about her body, all in the attempt to better understand her fluid queer identity and consider the question, who is she in the midst of it all? She embraces discomfort and vulnerability, particularly in durational works that span multiple hours or even days. Lizette is continually familiarizing herself with her flesh, blood, and breath, turning everyday actions into extraordinary spectacles. I am so, so excited for this conversation. Welcome, Lizette. Thank you. Wow. I think I want to begin our conversation with a question about environment and place. So I read in a 2023 interview with Metal Magazine, uh, you said, or you mentioned how important it is for you to familiarize yourself with the location where you'll be performing. And you said, I need to get a sense of the energy there, the materials used, the inter-architecture, and find a connection between the location and most importantly, the concept itself. Therefore, I always need to bond with the place, location, or space in advance, although I never rehearse or choreograph a performance piece. I devise a system of conditions for the work and the live performance. I must adhere to these conditions as an artist at all times. So I guess to begin, I just want to ask you, what does that process look like of familiarizing yourself with your environment and how long can that, that process take? Yeah, I like this question to start with because um, a lot of times, most of the time, people are not really focused on that, but more on the performative or the performance or the bodily part. So, but for me uh, personally, um, yeah, research for a piece uh, starts indeed with bonding with a certain location uh, that can be either in a different country or city or just a different place in your own um, familiar neighborhood. I mean, it literally has to do with bonding with a space uh, or with uh, the, the behavior that is common at that space, in that space, at that location. And therefore, I would like to be there physically. Um, let's consider it most of the times possible for me being there physically and I touch I feel I smell I lick I yeah try to really bond with uh, the walls the floor the material that is already there if we now it doesn't matter if we're now talking about an inside or an outside space or location and of course I like to observe if there are other people um, around or other native uh, inhabitants or animals. Um, I, I tend to be there as often as possible to observe. But initially, it's just very broad and also a certain time. Timing is connected to certain spaces and the behavior that is connected with it. It makes me think of also instances where you've uh, performed the same work multiple times in different locations. 
So this comes to mind for maybe reframing conventions where uh, you perform that in a, a variety of very, very uh, distinct spaces. So outdoors, I think in a field in Amsterdam South, and then you also perform that work in the red light district, and then also in a hotel space where because of the pandemic, there was no live audience with you physically in the space, but the performance was live streamed. Uh, and, and so how did you feel going through a work where ostensibly the action is the same where you're, you're sitting in a chair, but the environment is completely shifted? Um, that is also very special work uh, to me. And uh, because it's my first official piece ever as, a, as a, an artist. And uh, it's indeed titled Reframing Conventions. Actually, this 2023 is the year that it's its 10 year anniversary. So it's pretty cool. I performed this piece lots of times. Initially, it derived of my research into the plain office space. Uh, and with plain, I meant really like the, yeah, let's say the 80s um, American box offices. Um, that's where my research started. And then growing out of it, obviously I live in the Netherlands, so, uh, here it got slightly different, but let's say plain office space, um, where for me, the most intriguing part was that indeed it started with investigating this space. Um, and then at one point it was like, I need to investigate it by putting myself in the field. And by actually visiting all these locations that I uh, researched and just go there and analyze and explore whatever is, is, is going on there because I never had that experience. I'm not sure about you, but I never had the experience of working uh, eight hours. That's a normal work day for us here to explore eight hours of work behind a desk uh, every five days of the week. So I started taking it off like that. And then it immediately occurred to me that people, the first thing they do when they arrive in the office space is take a seat. And last thing they do is also take a seat most of the time behind a, a certain type of screen. And yeah, that got, that, that got to me. And it was really um, striking to me that people were actually able to do so, to be honest. So the beauty of this piece is that I'll take a big step, but um, is that at that moment, I started to focus on the performative way of, of doing research, how I still do it, developing, designing certain performance experiments for myself to try out myself um, on location in different spaces. And then afterwards, integrate that those those experiences and those moments of feedback or those reactions or those energies you can get sometimes with just people passing by or whatever also being present in that space um and then continuing with the funneling down process etc until you get a moment of an insight and like ah this is something interesting and that's when indeed after a year or so a year or a year and a half of research i finally got to this point of reframing conventions and being able to launch it as uh, the piece it still is so I performed this piece um, immediately quite a lot of times after 2013, after launching it in uh, Italy a lot of times. And well, it, it went quite well. And then at one point, well, obviously other things happen. And also you lose your own interest in a way. Yeah? It shouldn't become an autom automatism, for me at least. 
And then in 2020, I, yeah, I just was in lockdown as half of the world at one point. And uh, I started to really come down to my core of why I did what I do. And then it occurred to me like, ah, this could be so interesting to relaunch now, or at least I started to to not even think about relaunching immediately. I just figured, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to do just the same time lapse I did in 2013. I'm, and I'm just going to do it here. And then I was like, oh, but finally Amsterdam is my playground again. This is amazing. So I started taking off. And also I, I'm not the person who sits in a at home for months, you know, I'm just not comfortable. I was like, okay, I'll take the fine. I'll just do everything guerrilla and I'll just find places that I, I normally would never be able to perform. I hunted something, some, some cool locations and spaces down to um, perform this piece again, free, free for everybody. And that's how it got rolling. And that's also why I got in the red light district, for example, which was very, very special. And also it had a politi more political layer because uh, the sex workers um, were obviously totally not able to work. Let's say not from the, from the red light district, not from their studios, so to speak. Um, and it, it, it got a whole, it got a whole recontextualized layer, which was super interesting and also very, very special because people finally could find a moment to get out and sneak to me to watch a bit for free and everybody, you know, it was a different energy. And for the performance that you did of reframing conventions in the Red Light District, um, how did you feel as you were going through the performance, as you were you know, going through the eight hours of sitting in the chair, um, you're behind glass and the audience is on the other side in the street they're able to watch you. How does that element of voyeurism impact you? Uh, it is very interesting, especially with these, like picking out the case of the red light district, because indeed voyeurism, um, voyeurism became more important during that specific performance there, uh, obviously, but also it's very interesting because it was such a big paradox from where the, the piece initially, uh, why it was initially created by me because it was mostly i mean the fundamental pillar is the body and the bodily conditioning and um taking that into account and really experiencing it um by myself basically and not for others and then at that point taking it into public space um indeed it it, it did attract others and spectators and voyeurs maybe or am i the foyer with this specific moment i think i think the heaviness of for me huh, of sitting there because i also changed my work hours to the work hours or like the time that um the sex workers and not only ladies by the way are uh present there so i was there from from the top of my head from eight to two so i shifted it a bit it really changed during the night. Yeah, now going back to it while talking to you, it's like it was super intense actually at one point because guys, mostly men, um, 
started knocking on the windows and uh, they obviously people saw that there was a light on or something going on and I didn't even use red light I I, I chose my own light um, for that moment so but that apparently didn't matter it was just a really intrusive uh, feeling at one point yeah quite quite intimidating and I was even behind glass and there were only now let's say I guess 20 20 moments of strangers doing something or passing by or like walking back like wow it was just so astonishing for people to see somebody sitting there at that moment in time it really got me thinking like wow this is so unsafe actually it felt really unsafe and police even passed by and got the flashlights in my in my in my space it was a change of energy yeah from daylight people really enthusiastic and proud and curious to um yeah to raw which it is which totally represents what the red light district does your comments made me think of another question which is just how do you negotiate that idea of safety when you're devising performances because in almost really every case, you're putting your body through extreme circumstances or situations. And, and so when does that question of safety come up for you? And is it, is it an issue that you address beforehand or, or yeah, just like, how does it come up, if at all? Hmm. Safety. Interesting. Huh? It's a very interesting term to me, actually, because indeed it's like, um, yeah, we all know exactly, and that's so beautiful about a certain, I think it's really beautiful about a certain type of safety for me is, it's so based on a feeling and so based on just a change of energy. But in terms of safety, on the other hand, um, I also really like to challenge my, my, yeah, feeling of being safe. And let's say being safe now meaning feeling comfortable and really secured and really confident and not vulnerable at all. No, those are all things I, I tend to challenge and I, I, I tend to question and I do that via many ways, but also, I mean, I think it's visible and, and, and people experience it when they are present during a life performance of mine. Um, so maybe I'm, I'm having a hate love relationship with safety. Yeah. Well, absolutely. I mean, I think part of your work is about testing your own physical limits to us to almost delimit where your body begins and ends and to understand how it operates, how it functions, how your internal organs are in tune with each other. And I think so much of that comes through with your, my body series or myself series. I've looked at the documentation um, of the performances from, from the series, the fetus, the other, the body, the bladder, and the first breath. Uh, yeah, this is the start of uh, myself series. So in 2015, um, I launched this piece and it was actually, I started off um, researching uh, the self and the identification process. I realized, okay, yeah, yourself, just be yourself. Okay, being yourself, what the fuck does that actually mean, to be honest? Huh? I mean, we, it's, it's actually a universal convention. That's what we created, but we, I think we don't even know 
what it means. And it's like, people are happy when, when you say that to, to a person and I'm like, but what are you happy about? You know? So I started to investigate that. And the first, first piece that came out, uh, eventually was myself, the fetus. And for me, the biggest insight during this research was, um, je ai une autre. So by Arthur Rimbaud, he stated that and simply said the eyes created through the other people's vision on us. So I started to realize that, and it was such a moment of liberation as well. Um, and after researching uh, a lot more and um, conceptualizing that, I realized that so after a few years, you start to even lose maybe a sense of, of, of who that self might be. And uh, I don't even know, huh? I'm just, it's the research, so I don't offer conclusions or answers, but um, I, I tried at least to show that process during this uh, five hour performance in fetal position, because the, the vision already starts in the, in the womb. And that was actually what I corrected in the, in the piece after myself, the other, because it's not about the vision. That's not when the identification process starts. It starts with hearing when we don't even have vision uh, because we don't in the womb. So I started to correct myself also in this series constantly performing it multiple times. Indeed, I guess at least 10 times. I also in different years, so different ways of being. And the beauty is, is that I try to create or like show certain steps I took in my process during these five hours. Or not show, I like to make people or spectators experience, if I do this live, um, what I'm going through. Because what I'm going through is what you are going through. And the um, material I make is indeed based on the loss of the self in a certain way. And the awakening of, and then maybe the liberation of. Uh, because it goes from liquid to fixed to cracked. And that is, for me... Um, a way to represent this concept and also what the other people's vision on me when I'm laying there in exhibition space are creating me, but also represent the loss of the self in the terms of the shredding of the skin. And I think that piece also demonstrates so much of this, this process of identity formation, uh, which is a, a process I think that you are troubling or that you are challenging through your work through the series and that the self, there is no fixed self, the self is constantly in flux and changing. And so much of our sense of self is determined from without. It's the, the people who were around in their perception of us that influences how we come to understand ourselves and how we come to interpret our body. And that also shifts, of course, with time. So it's just interesting to think of, of you performing myself, the fetus, multiple times over, over multiple years. Uh, the other thing that I think is so apparent in your work is the influence of philosophy and then also biology as well. And I think of the biological a lot when um, I look at the body, myself, the body, and myself, the bladder. At the center of the performance is is your body. It's you, you're naked, you're oiled. I believe in the original performances of of these works, you were also bald at the time. And in the body, you lie on a table and you use stethoscopes. Uh, that you have uh, like manipulated and reproduced to amplify the sounds of your organs. And your performance of the bladder is quite similar. There's a stethoscope that's on the floor, and I believe a stethoscope that's on your pelvis. 
And as you're moving and also as you're urinating, you're able to amplify both the sound of the liquid as it hits the floor and also the, the movements and motions of your pelvis. How did you go about uh, adapting or using the stethoscopes uh, for, for those pieces? Um, yes. Well, so indeed, after myself, the other came myself, the body, because of that inside of focusing on audio. And um, as a first moment of identification, and I realized, okay, so at in myself, the other, I pinpointed the Dutch language and to use in the, in the performance. And there are no visuals of that work because there aren't, because it was in the visual piece. Um, even though I did it live, also I wasn't visually present. Um, so, but then I realized, hey, but this is, okay, this is already identifying, you know, my, this is for me relevant because my mother spoke to me in Dutch and whoever was there. So I was already identified by that. But what is underneath that? Yeah, and also I was searching for a little bit more universal approach, I guess, for uh, everybody to connect to or to be able to relate to and identify with. And that's when I started focusing on, okay, what if we're just born or maybe not even yet born, but we're still in the womb? What audio and what communication um, do our organs have? Like, how do they speak to each other? Because they, they need to, because it's all so connected. I, I just started to, to envision like, oh, wow, what would, what would just a conversation like that, what would it sound like? Would I be able to follow it or not? Would you be able to follow it the same way or, you know, and it was for South by Southwest, um, in 2018. And yeah, I, it took a long time to be able to get those sounds out of my body by not using any software and not amplifying it in terms of computerizing. Um, that is really special for me in this piece because it's, it's analog in that sense. It's direct. It is a life investigation into my internal organs, internal audio. And I created a certain resonance box of myself, uh, which is different every time because that's one of the, one of the standards I have. And also one of the beauty, beautiful things in life that my body probably will be different every time I do this live performance. So, um, every time my organs will speak, it will be a different conversation, I reckon. Um, but the whole process into finding a way, because our skin is built, is obviously built to reduce sound from our little factory that is going on here. Um, so that was a very difficult and tough and challenging job. And I went to all kinds of people, all kinds of places, indeed science. I got all kinds of echo stuff and when you're really pregnant, but it's not, it's, it's not specific or like high, the quality was back then was too low for it. And also, obviously, I also don't didn't want to only hear my stomach. I wanted to hear everything that was hearable. So it took a long time, and I'm super grateful for. Um, I'm not gonna mention names, but for people who who were able to get me steps further. The one thing I do know is that a lot of people also said to me, "Oh, that's not possible." Um, audio sound geeks, and uh, many of them who I really love working with. 
and finding because I'm also kind of a geek in that sense. Um, many of them were like, no, I can't make it work, you know? So it was a long, long process. And at one point I, yeah, I started cutting, cutting and, and buying and experimenting and just replacing stuff and going to the Paradiso and with the head of techni uh, Technics there, just playing around in Paradiso, the pop temple. I did my preview performance for him there just to test if it works. And then at one point I was like, yes. Just to hear about the process that you went through to figure out how to amplify the sounds of your organs. Uh, when I watched the performance online, the sound is so crisp and it is so clear. Uh, so I think, you know, the you did a brilliant job <laughs> executing that ultimately. And when I think about the Myself series too, I also connect uh, the fifth performance to Myself the Fetus. How do you connect to or relate between my first breath and the fetus or, or do you associate those two works together? Yeah, of course. I mean, they're all, uh, sequential and <clears throat> yeah, I, I definitely connect all of them, but maybe they're all fetuses. A fetus is not one fetus. Like a fetus is also very, very transformative. And I think this series also represents uh, different types of fetuses, maybe in different stages. And the um, fetus of myself, the first breath, is already uh, sitting up um, in fetal position. So it's a different, it's like 90 degrees <laughs> um, because the fetus is laying down of, of myself, the fetus. How I developed it, it is right before the fetus is is going through the birth channel is being born that's myself the first breath but what is this moment that we're also have to become uh an individual because you're you're coming out of the birth channel for the first time and you have to breathe through your own lungs for the first time because you're not breathing through the cord through your mother's lungs anymore so it was for me it was such an insight that this magical first gasp this magical <gasps> which we'll never experience throughout our lives ever again. That is already insane, right? Imagining that, it's still it's still very, very important work um, where I try to reach as good as possible as a grown-up person to reach out to that magical first gasp again. And how do you think the existing um, five performances in the Myself series have prepared you for and or launched you into this new sixth performance that you're developing myself the unfamiliar roots i must be honest i don't really have an answer yet to your question but the roots in this sense even goes underneath air so again i i go you know i scrape off another layer um, sometimes more literal, uh, and now, now these times a little bit more philosophical or, um, spiritual maybe. And also because I've been, I've been thinking a lot and, and working on and busy with my own roots. And I knew, I know that my grandfather is, is born in Indonesia and that my unfamiliar roots are there in a way, in what way, I don't know yet exactly. Of course I know some things. But mostly it's still unknown and unfamiliar. And I've never been there either. And also I have been, I don't want to put it like that, but maybe I should. Yeah, I, I've also been suffering from not knowing. 
and like the how do you call that in in English? Indie Zwijgen. Uh, so it's like yeah, just keeping your mouth shut through generations of generations. And um, also, my mother is an example of a person who also didn't know much and, and never asked or never dared to ask. I don't know exactly what happened. So I think it's also a, a period of time to focus on uh, on those roots. And for me, that goes underneath air. So that's why, and breath, and that's why I, yeah, I have the opportunity now to investigate it. So much of, I think what you're speaking about too, is like generational silence and what's passed down um, from generation to generation and what gets stuck or lost or hidden away. And um, I feel that so much of, as you go through this, this process of developing that work or whatever it becomes or evolves into, it's also that that process of excavating, of digging, and of moving through your own family line as well, maybe. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. And that's connected also to the, well, I'm not sure. Yeah, no, I am sure. Of course, it's connected to my, my maybe my fascination with blood as well. And with my own blood and trying to use it uh, in, um, in, in a performance already. And, uh, you know, still not daring to use it fully or... What is that? You know, that whole investigation, you're totally right. And maybe even generational trauma. So it's opening up in a, in a different layer, in the roots, literally. Okay, this is from that, that same interview uh, that you did with Metal Magazine, where you focused, you were speaking at this point about blood, and you say, my blood, where it comes from, where it has been, how it runs and what it all contains is still unclear to me. And now hearing you talk about um, myself, the unfamiliar roots, and also family history, there is both the literal, the blood that, that runs through our veins, but also the, the information that it contains and the, the things and the people that it connects us to. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, I know that we are running out of time. I've probably already held you here over time. <laughs> there, there's a whole other body of work that I won't even have time to talk about with you now, at least, but I wanted to, to give you space to maybe reflect on your recent residency in Mexico City and the research that you're currently doing on the oxalotl, I think if I'm if I'm pronouncing that correctly. And this is an amphibian um, native to Mexico that does not, or I believe it's extinct now, but it did not evolve. And so it always remained in that um, preliminary state and it never evolved into a salamander. And I'm really curious because I think looking at your work, so much of it is about transformation and evolution and being in that position of moving and being in flux. And so what did it mean for you to learn about this this creature that resists evolution in a way or re- resists transformation? Uh, and, and how is it informing the way that you're thinking about your work? Yeah, it's uh, it's such a hardcore. I mean, how hardcore are you when you're just like, no. You know, I just imagine, um, which I don't even know. I mean, but I imagine just the creature like, okay, no, I'm just going to reject participating in evolution. And also, um, I'm also rejecting participating in devolution. Is that correctly pronounced? Well, um, I'm just going to be here in my neotenic state of being and you know, this is, this is good enough. And, um, obviously that it was good enough for a long uh, period of time because 
sorry, it was not necessary for the creature, for the axolotl, to do something else because it was safe and sound in uh, in uh, in the mud in the bottom bottom of the of the lakes, Lake Chochimilco, and um, until a certain moment where uh, human beings unfortunately started to uh, eat them a lot and started to build the chinamka chinampas in the lake, which is just building basically the the early start of uh, urbanization of Mexico city. And, um, and that was also the moment when, well, at a certain time people started to realize that tilapia fish were, were very uh, profitable. So they started to breed it in the lake, which was perfect because it was fresh water. And then the tilapia actually, um, ate all the, um, the same food and the same nutrition uh, of the axolotl. And also, unfortunately, um, were predators to the axolotl. So at a certain moment, uh, the tilapias also breed very, very quick. So now even when, when, when uh, going on the trajinera boat over the lakes, uh, you see constantly the tilapia fish going on. It's, it's out of control and it has been for a long time. And that's, well, what the biologists and um, certain experts of the axolotl there um, said to me personally uh that that was the reason why they're extinct the beauty of the, the animal still remains though because it is able to um to be juvenile to keep its juvenile traits so to speak because of its fully regenerative um, power so it can fully regenerate body parts as a brain tail eyes and it just remains in this neo neotenic kind of survival state. And that's also one of the messages that I uh, formulated in the concept after this research as something that is maybe very interesting for us uh, in terms of uh, a different take on the idea of progression. Um, why are we always speeding up and needing to transform and needing to evaluate? So I'm actually focusing now on the absence of metamorphosis instead of, um, whereas I came there to find out what the relation to the concept of metamorphosis was uh, and the similarities to me or us seeking for similarities um, to us human beings coming from this creature. I'm taking it as a symbol, actually. Yeah? And I'm not sure which, where it's going to go now coming back, being back here and going away again and um, where it's going to head towards. But this message I formulated on the idea of progression and finding other forward movements in a different way is something that's really inspiring to me. Yeah, I think there's also the beauty in that maybe the fact that the axolotl remains in that primary state, which makes me think about the fetal state and how, at least through your Myself series, there's this inspiration and investigation of the fetal state and, and its influence on identity formation and the self. And so there is also like, every, it's always connected. Everything's always connected, but it, it does also seem to be inviting that similar turn of looking back to one's beginnings, uh, which I find really interesting. Thank you. Yeah. Very excited about it. As we move to close, Lizette, I wanted to invite you to speak about things that you're excited about that are coming up next and to also let listeners know where they can follow you and uh, stay updated with your work. Yeah. Um, I am actually going very quickly, like in 11 days, I'm leaving to Indonesia 
for my Southie Unfamiliar Roots. I'm going to do a residency there um, and with Milati Surya Dharma and we've got a freestyle after and well, it's going to take up two months. So hopefully enough to find a, a lead. And um, well, actually, also, if you want to keep updated, or stay notified about a bit of that process. I, I share this in my newsletter and that's via MailChimp. You can find, or you can add your own contact info in uh, on my website, which is lizetteross.com, L-I-S-E-T-T-E-R-O-S.com. You can find me there. And also, obviously you can find me on Instagram which is for me sometimes very difficult to post things because of many restrictions and many bans I've had. Um, so it's most of the time, it's probably just a teaser or a trigger that you find there. And um, the rest of it um, is indeed also available on Vimeo a lot on my account, on my page. And uh, yeah, but Google is always your answer. Well, thank you so, so, so much, Lizette. And thank you for pushing us all to be more aware of ourselves as we move through different spaces, through different environments, and to to check in with our bodies too. Thank you so much. Thank you. <laughs> this episode of Open Studios was produced by me, Asia Stewart. If you are interested in watching incredible performance work, I highly recommend that you check out PerformView. Head to www.performview.com. <laughs>